Good morning, church. It's a blessing to be here, to be able to worship together um, in the love of Christ, and I pray that you're experiencing the blessings of your salvation and, uh, and trusting as, in God as we look to him for everything pertaining to faith and godliness. And uh, <clears throat> Just so you know who I am, some of you might know me, some of you might not. Uh, uh, we've, uh, we've, we went... Uh, myself, and then uh, once I married my wife, Sarah, she's in the back, uh, used to go to Redeemer a long time ago uh, for like 10 years or something. And then uh, God called us to a ministry in, in uh, Aurora where I pastored for uh, a couple years there, three years there, and then that closed. And then we found our way back to Redeemer. So we've been here for the past year again. So it's been fun to reconnect with people and, and meet new people and uh, see what God is doing. And so we're blessed. Uh, we actually... Uh, uh, enjoy kind of having the title of the only uh, people who have uh, become members at Redeemer twice. So uh, we're going to go for three. We'll see if we can do it. Um, but uh, it's such a blessing to be able to bring the word this morning. And so if you would open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verse 12 through 13. And uh, if we were to look at the greater context of our passage here uh, we would see that uh, Paul is instructing us on uh, what it is to live as Christians in relationship to one another. What are the characteristics that we should emulate and what are the characteristics that we shouldn't emulate? He tells us to, to put on some things and he tells us to put off some things. And so we're going to focus on verse 12 and 13 where he tells us to put on certain things, and specifically, we're going to be looking at forgiveness. We're going to be talking about forgiveness this morning, and, and both God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others, and how those two relate. And so, um, as, as I look and think about forgiveness, I, I'm quickly uh, reminded, I'm quickly made aware of the fact that I kind of suck at it, right? We kind of sometimes suck at forgiveness. It's not always very easy to do. And so there's a couple reasons for that, that the reasons why we might suck at forgiveness sometimes. It's, it's because either we haven't developed a robust theology of it, and we need to, or it's possibly just because it's hard. Forgiveness is a hard thing to do. It goes against the grain. It demands war with our pride and our flesh. But let's look to see what the Word of God has for us this morning, how it might encourage us, correct us, and help us in this way. Starting in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we admit that without your grace, we are nothing. We confess our brokenness and our need for spiritual rejuvenation. Even today as we come, our, our souls may be weary we may feel the burden of our sin. We may feel the pains of this world groaning. 
We need to find our rest in you and we need, we need your help in our sanctification. We need the, the power of the Holy Spirit to be at work in us and we pray that that will be what happens this morning that as, as we look at your word that your Holy Spirit would guide us and direct us and teach us and equip us and strengthen us for all godliness. In your name and for your glory, we pray this would be so. Amen. So this, this passage that we're looking at this morning is uh, one of those that doesn't let any, anyone off the hook, right? There's some passages that we might study and we might say, you know, we're, we're not super sure. Like, we, we think it might be this or maybe it's this. And, and, uh, and you know, we, we have some different interpretations or understandings. Uh, but this is one of those passages that is just very plain and very clear. And I love those kind of passages that just plainly say, here it is, deal with it. And uh, I love them because they don't allow us to have any room to wiggle, any room to squirm our way out when we're not comfortable or when we don't like the truth that we're hearing. It confronts us. And I love passages that force us to be confronted with truth and then to conform to it. Because I truly believe that there's much good that comes from that as we are being sanctified. It's good to be confronted with truth and have to conform to it because that's good for our sanctification and, and ultimately will will be good for our lives. And so, um, let this be an encouragement to you this morning that we're all on the hook together. We're all united in this together. We, we work these things out together, right? We're the church that's, that's drawn together. I love the fact that, right, as the church, we're not, we haven't been scattered, right? When, when Christ awoken your, the eyes of your heart to see the gospel and understand and believe, uh, we weren't left to our own devices. God gathers us together as the church. And so we, we find unity and community together as we pursue holiness together. It's a community project. And I, I love that, that, that we can work these things out together. So we're all on the hook this morning. So we can all encourage each other uh, and strengthen one another in forgiving um, in fact, there's a, there's a great quote from John Gill on this because as the people of God, we are called to holiness. And that's what Paul starts out by saying in verse 12. And so John Gill has a great quote on this and he says, God's elect are those who were chosen in Christ from eternity according to the sovereign will and pleasure of God. And his free grace unto salvation and eternal life, which carries in it a strong argument to enforce the performance of good works, since men are hereby chosen unto holiness. And good works are what God has foreordained that they should walk in, especially to mercy and acts of it. Since their salvation appears to be not of man's will and works, but of God's. Who shows mercy. And those who are the objects of this grace are vessels of mercy. So we receive this, this rich and profound grace from God that settles the debt of our sin and sanctifies us. And in that we pursue holiness because it was not our works but the work of Christ 
by which God gives us forgiveness. Uh, He goes on to say that we were not uh, holy from birth, but that we were unclean and conceived in sin. That's not a great starting point. That's a, that's a rough place to start. To be, to be unholy, to be unclean and conceived in sin, it seems pretty hopeless. If we didn't know the, the rest of the story, that would seem pretty hopeless, right? But God loved us and Jesus died for us. By his sacrifice, he chose us and sanctifies us so we ought to love him and show love to others. That is how we respond to the gospel of grace to the forgiveness that is freely given to us, not by our merit, but by the will of God. And so, uh, part of the passage we're looking at tells us to put on, put on these things as God's chosen ones, having received the grace of God, a compassionate heart and kindness and humility, and meekness, and patience, and, and a, a bearing with one another, and forgiving any complaint as God forgave us. So we're to put these things on, we're to put on this forgiveness, and the, one, of the, one of the ways that we put on this love, this kind of love, is by forgiving each other, as God has shown us great mercy in his forgiveness. And so we're going we're gonna to look at, we're going to see, first of all, that forgiveness is modeled for us in the redemptive work of Jesus. And as we, as we look at this passage, if there's, if there's one takeaway that we could just kind of meditate on and, and come back to later and look at the passage later as we, as we go home and throughout the week, and I would encourage you to do that and, and read the whole context of, of Colossians, and even better, read the whole book of Colossians. But if there's one takeaway that that I would hope we receive this morning is that forgiveness is not optional for the people of God who have been forgiven by the grace of God. Forgiveness is not optional. We can't pick it and choose it. It's it's commanded of us because of the grace of God which has been freely given to us. We are to give likewise grace freely to others. And so we see, we need to look, where, what is the source? How do we understand what forgiveness is? And how do we know how to model it and, and what it is and what it isn't? And, and we have this great example in the gospel of Jesus and his forgiveness. And so we look to Jesus to give us the example of forgiveness that we are then to follow as his people. And so the example of forgiveness we're going to use is the example that scripture gives us. Jesus. We're to follow the same way. Our forgiveness is to be the same as the forgiveness that God grants to us. Right? It says this in verse 13. Second part of verse 13. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. One of the things that's great about this passage is the fact that we're immediately reminded of our salvation. Right? Like, I love that it puts, puts our, our eyes fixed on Jesus. 
right? It doesn't say, hey, you muster up the strength within yourself and you, you figure this out yourself and whatever you think forgiveness should be. No, it says, listen, like your forgiveness needs to be informed by God's forgiveness. And so we're to look up. And so we're immediately reminded of our salvation that we're God's chosen ones, holy and beloved for all who believe in Jesus are God's elect. And so he chose us and, and made salvation known to us and caused us to believe and we're recipients of his grace and saved from the clutches of sin and death. And as such, being reconciled to him, we are called to holiness. And so it's here that it might be good for us just to pause for a moment as we're talking about the grace and forgiveness of God to just, to just thank him. Because we're talking about being saved from spiritual strongholds. We're talking about being saved from, from eternal separation from God. We're talking about being saved from the clutches of sin and death. To being freed from the, the guilt and the shame of our accusers. This is, this is not like, like a fireman saving a cat out of a tree. This is, this is big. This is good, not good, but great news for us. And we ought to stop as we meditate on God's forgiveness to us and, and be thankful. Be thankful for the mercy and the kindness that God has shown to us that we did not deserve. Forgiveness is unmerited and undeserved. And so we look to Christ to be our example. And Jesus, his forgiveness of our sins is final. Isn't that good news, church? Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't forgive you once and then it's like, all right, but now, now it's up to you to live the perfect life. And then you mess up and like, maybe I'll forgive you or maybe not. Or, or maybe I'll take back. I'll take it back. Maybe I'll decide, you know what? I'm, I'm angry with you now and I'm gonna take that forgiveness that I gave you back. He doesn't do that. His forgiveness is final. It's, it's complete. There's no take backs. He clears the debt he expunges the record of wrong. Psalm 103, verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Right? You, can't, you can't come to a, a point where the east and the west meet. They're always far apart. Right? It's an impossibility. And so he's saying there's, there's, no, there's no variation. There's no shifting sand. There's no, there's no uh, way in which this suddenly goes from being true to being untrue. This is a constant. The forgiveness of God. His removal of our transgression, the sin from us, is permanent. Like Colossians 2, 13 through 14 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He removes the record of debt. 
He nails it to the cross. And the record is expunged by his own blood, by his own death on the cross. And in his resurrection, we have life with him. And the security of that, 1 Peter says that that our, our salvation is being kept in heaven by God. God himself guards our salvation. We cannot lose it. It cannot be taken back from us. What a wonderful forgiveness to have. And so Paul instructs us as the recipients of such grace to forgive as God has forgiven us. Right? And that's the second thing we see, that we practice forgiveness by following God's example in Christ. And so having received the unmerited blessing of God's forgiveness, the people of God bless one another by freely offering forgiveness when one sins against the other. Right? We've received the blessing of God's gift and then as, as partakers of that grace, we and, uh, share in that grace, we then direct that grace towards others as they have sinned against us. We don't withhold forgiveness and grace having been recipients of such great grace. We bless others with our forgiveness, forgiving one another. I love uh, the way this passage points out just kind of a reality. It says, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. Right? It, it points out the reality that eventually we're going to sin against one another. Right? The church isn't a group of perfect people who live perfectly in the context of the church and never cause any trouble amongst one another. Right? We still are waging war against the flesh. We are still seeking to put our sin to death. We are still uh, causing problems in, in the lives of one another. We hurt each other. And I wish the world would see that. I wish the world would have that understanding of, of, of exactly what's going on here. That, that we're sinners in need of grace and bestowing grace upon each other, that we might do life with each other and encourage each other and build each other up in that and glorify and worship God together. But we'll eventually have complaints against one another. Right? It's like, you know, the, the young newlywed might think, this is going to be easy. Like, we get along. Like, we dated, we dated for two years, man. Like, we never argued. Like, this is going to be perfect. And then, like, day two of being married, it's like you're already fighting, right? Like, this, this is because, like, when we cram a bunch of sinners together, it's inevitable that we're going we're gonna to cause some conflict. And so, because of the problems caused by our sin, no relationship can endure and be fruitful and useful without forgiveness. It's impossible. No relationship can flourish without forgiveness and grace. It would crush us. We would be crushed by that. So not our relationship with God or with a spouse or a a friendship or with a family member or the church. None of those relationships can flourish when forgiveness is absent. And really, it needs to be prevailing. 
Freely given, like God's grace to us is freely given. And we love, we love God's forgiveness, right? Like, I want to drink of that cup all the time. I want to bask in God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness makes me feel good. I, I, I feel joy when I think about God's forgiveness. I love receiving God's forgiveness. But we often fail to practice that kind of forgiveness with others. Right? It's like Christmas time. We're, we're all telling our kids, like, it's better to, better to give than receive. You know, maybe part of us believes that, and another part's like, eh, you know, this might be, I might be hypocritical saying this, but I want you to believe this, so. Right? But it's, it's supposed to be, it's better to give than receive. But man, when it comes to forgiveness, sometimes we feel like it's, it's better to receive than to give. It's hard to give forgiveness. That dude made me mad. That dude caused me problems. I'm glad God doesn't look at us like that. I'm glad he doesn't struggle. I'm like, uh, I don't know, this time he went too far. Sorry, Tim. I'm not going to forgive you for that one. Holding a grudge, harboring ill will, like these things are, are us getting tangled up in earthly things, right? We're, we're to look to the greater purposes of God. We're to, to look and see that we, are, we belong to the kingdom of God, not to the kingdom of earth or this world. This world is passing away, but, but the kingdom of God is eternal. And so we, we look to, to greater things than just the things happening in this life, in this world. We have an eternal mindset and, and, like, look at verse 1 through 2 here in chapter 3. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Right? We're supposed to have that upward mindset. But holding a grudge, oh, holding a grudge, it feels good to the flesh. Like there's something about like when you're holding a grudge that like your, your flesh is satisfied. It's like, yeah, this, you know what? Yeah, stick it to that guy. He's, you know, be mad at him. Oh, it feels good to the flesh anyways. But verse five says, to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. We need to put the flesh to death because the desires of the flesh lead to destruction and death. And we have to have new desires. And so then in verse 8 through 10, it says, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Right, we put on the new self. And with that comes a willingness, a humility, a meekness, a long suffering that allows us to forgive one another. 
So wage that war. Because you will be triumphant in Christ. That we all can be sanctified to the point where no matter what somebody does against us, we can forgive. And it's hard. It's hard. There are, there are things that, that can be confusing. There are things that can be just like, how am I going to wrap my mind around forgiving somebody who did that? But, but God wraps his mind around forgiving us for the sins that we've committed against a holy and righteous God, for being his enemy, for having rebelled against him. And so like, so we have, we have two toddlers at our house, a two-year-old and a four-year-old, and they're a lot of fun. They have probably about 6,000 times more energy than I do. Uh, and so um, I'm starting to, to realize, like, if one of them runs, um, I'm just like, huh, uh, see you. Come back when you, you can. But, uh, like, it, having, having toddlers, two toddlers running around in the house is, is a, a very good way to realize very quickly that forgiveness is hard and that I'm not very good at it and I struggle to do it and that, you know, both in the fact that, like, uh, like I need to forgive them the, the 65,000 times a day that they, you know, don't listen, don't obey, you know, cause chaos, you know, one's hitting the other, one's biting the other, one's biting you, you know, all of these things that happens with toddlers. And, and, and then also the realization that I need help, I need God's grace in, in me asking and seeking their forgiveness for all the times that I suck at parenting, for all the times that I handle a situation wrongly and get too upset and so, like, like, having two toddlers is hard. Living life with one another is hard. And sin is painful. Right? And, like, what happens? Like, what do we do when the, when the unjust go unpunished? How are we supposed to forgive then? What are we supposed to do when we see injustice going uncorrected? When there's this prevailing sin that just keeps happening and happening, right? And if you have toddlers, and some of you have more than just two kids, and you're like, dude, you got it easy, man. Like, just you wait. But like, what do we do when sin prevails and it, it's just nonstop and it's an onslaught and you're, you're just physically and mentally and emotionally tired over it? Well, Habakkuk wrestled with this question. Right, Habakkuk, uh, if we look in the Old Testament to the book of Habakkuk, uh, Habakkuk saw a lot of injustice, a lot of sin. People were harming and hurting and doing evil things towards one another. And, and Habakkuk's like, wow, these are the people of God. And isn't God's protection and provision supposed to be over them? This is, this is not how it's supposed to be. And he cries out to God and he says, God, where are you? Are you even listening? Are you even aware of what's going on? And, and God says what? Right? There's, a, there are, there's a dialogue between God and Habakkuk, and, and where does it wind up? Where do, what, what is the end result of this conversation? God says, the righteous shall live by faith. He says that to Habakkuk. He says, listen, I am, I am just. I will deal with it. 
And he tells Habakkuk actually how he's going to deal with it. He's going to bring this, this other nation in to deal with it. And they're, they're pagans. And Habakkuk then has a problem with that, going like, wait, you've got these, these sinners coming and dealing with the people of God. And, and God says, listen, the righteous will live by faith, Habakkuk. I am God. I will deal with it. And so as we are thinking and meditating on and, and talking about forgiveness, we need to realize that forgiveness is trusting in God. Forgiveness is us trusting God. We trust God and we are able to forgive. If we say that God is sovereign, but then struggle to forgive, that is theology and practice not lining up. We can forgive because we trust God. We, we have freedom to forgive because we can trust that God is just. We can trust him to be just. Right, we see this with David. Right? You know the story of David? He, uh, he's the king of Israel and, and, and he sees Bathsheba and he goes, that's mine. And he commits adultery with her. But she's married. And so he's like, well, what do I do with that? So then he has Uriah killed on the, on the front lines in battle. Right? He, he failed miserably and then Nathan comes and has to say, like, and this is like the thing, like, it's one thing to fail miserably, but then to be like totally oblivious to it and just like going about your day, like, hey, this is normal. And so Nathan comes to confront him and to show him his sin and kind of leads him down this story of somebody took somebody else's lamb and then, and then David's all like, you know, up in arms about that. Nathan then like, boom, he's like, it's you. You are the sinner in this scenario. And, and David is wrecked. He's crushed by his sin. And Nathan says, but you will not die. You've done all these horrible things. You, you've sinned so much. But God is showing mercy to you. You will not die. And we later see in Romans, there's a passage that says that he is both just and the justifier. This is referring back to David. Why didn't David die? Why didn't he stand before God? Why wasn't he condemned because of his sin? He did horrible things. And then he gets to go on continuing to be king. That's not a very Baptist thing to do. We would kick that guy out, right? But he continues. Because he's received God's forgiveness, but... but we see that in Romans, right? Like he, God is both just and the justifier. God dealt with his sins in the person of Jesus Christ by dying on the cross and shedding his blood for David and for us. And so in the work of Jesus, God remains both just and he becomes the justifier. He makes us just. He justifies us. That's the doctrine of justification. He cleanses us of the sin. He removes the guilt and the shame he reconciles us to himself, but he doesn't just let sin go on without any punishment, without any penalty. No, because God is just and he's holy. He has to deal with sin. And so he, he puts it on the shoulders of Christ on the cross and he bears the wrath of God for us. That's how God forgives us. And so we can trust, we can trust that, that as we forgive God, God is going to deal with the sin 
even if maybe we don't see a resolution, even if maybe the person is not repentant and they don't care, and certainly if a person does come repenting of their sin and asking forgiveness, we should never, never withhold it. But that sin will be dealt with. Either the wrath of God will be poured out on that person who does not repent and confess and trust in Jesus, or it is placed on the shoulders of Jesus on the cross. Right, and so, like we've already acknowledged, and it's okay, it's good for us to acknowledge and say, God, you know what, I just confess that forgiveness for me, like sometimes it's hard. It's hard to forgive sometimes. And when we're struggling, we should go to God and say, God, give me, give me grace. Help me to forgive. I'm struggling. She made me mad. This person did this, and I'm having a hard time with it. And so sin is destructive. It, it causes damage. It is painful. And so because of that, we might be tempted to think that forgiveness and restoration don't go together. Right? That you can forgive somebody but still hold them at arm's length and say, you know what, I need to protect myself from you because you hurt me. I, I can't... You know, I walk into the room and I, I forgive you, but I walk into the room and I, I see you and my, my stomach starts to tie up in knots and I start to feel nauseous and weird inside and I, and I just, I can't look at you and I don't, I can't stand there and talk to you. Like, I can't do that. That is not forgiveness. That is withholding forgiveness. That is not how God forgives us. He reconciles us to himself. He restores the relationship. When God forgives us, he doesn't withhold the relationship he receives us. Right, look at Romans 5, 10, which says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, so much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. It says we were enemies. We were the enemies of God, but yet he loved us and reconciled with us. He didn't say, listen, I'm going to forgive you, but you got to do these 10 things first, and then I will restore the broken relationship. Even though it was us who broke the relationship, he said, I love you. I'm going to choose to love you. Right? 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Ephesians 2, if I just give a summary of Ephesians 2, the first part of Ephesians 2 tells us that we were once separated from God, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then we see in Ephesians chapter 2 that on the cross, Jesus reconciled us to God and made peace. So one of the things that we can do if we're wondering, have I really reconciled with this person? Have I really forgiven this person? Is to ask ourselves, do I have peace with this person? 
Because God desires for us, he instructs his church to pursue unity. And so I would, I would make us aware this morning of the sobering reality that forgiveness is risky and sometimes costly. You might get burned, but that is not a reason to withhold forgiveness. Aren't you glad that God didn't look at it like that? Forgiveness is risky and sometimes costly, and no one understands the cost of forgiveness better than Jesus. Jesus had to die for your forgiveness. It can be costly. But it's a risk we should take because it bears fruit in our lives and in the lives of others. And because it is what God commanded us to do, what he tells us to do. And so, as we, as we develop an understanding and a theology and a practice of forgiveness towards one another, we kind of, you know, we want to have wisdom. We don't want to use wisdom as a cop-out for doing the actual hard and necessary work of forgiveness and reconciling with people. We don't want to, to use wisdom as an excuse for uh, not finishing the job when it comes to forgiveness or cheapening it into something that it's actually not. Right? What do we do? People hurt us. We just continue to let them hurt us. And so what is appropriate sometimes, depending on the sin issue, is discipline. Right? There's a difference between discipline and reconciliation. Right? There are penalties for transgressions. Of course there are. That's necessary. But discipline is meant to last for a time and then be done. It's meant to serve a purpose. It's supposed to foster sanctification. Right? We hope that the person being disciplined or experiencing God's discipline is, is then going to have their heart changed by it. That their heart would be softened and they would repent and confess and be healed. It, it, it's supposed to encourage us to see, acknowledge, and then put to death our sin. But reconciliation is the restoring of the relationship. And we're to do that because God does that for us. And so what we don't want to do is base our forgiveness on our emotions or on our pride, giving it or withholding it as we find convenient. We don't want to use extreme examples to justify holding bitterness against a brother or sister who lied to you or that, that neighbor whose car is loud and obnoxious. Really, we ought to be able to forgive any sin because God forgives all of ours. Past, present, future. The ones we don't even know about. Like, I'm glad that God doesn't keep the record of wrong and then hold me to it. I'm glad that my righteousness is from Christ, his righteousness, his perfect work that's imputed to us, that's given to us freely 
through faith. Because there's a whole list of things that I don't, I'm not even aware of, right? It's unintentional sins, like, I didn't know that was sin, or I didn't know I did that. I'm not aware of that. We would be, we would be destroyed in the dust and in the dirt. And so, we have to remember as we forgive others that our sin is most offensive to God. It's first against God, yet he removes it. And I would remind you again of, of David. Uh, you go home and read Psalm 51 and, and there you will see that David, David, is, this is his psalm of confession, right? He's crying out to God and he says, uh, God, against you and you alone have I sinned. Wait a minute. Uh, David, are you missing something? David, what, did you get hit on the head? What's going on, man? Like, you didn't just sin against God, right? You sinned against the entire nation because you're their, you're their leader, you're their king, you're their spiritual leader. You, you sinned against Uriah because you had him killed. You sinned against the, the, the troops that you had stepped back so that he would get killed. You sinned against Bathsheba, by taking her for your own, your own self and causing her to commit adultery as you commit adultery. And, and what David is saying is that, listen, my sin is the worst because it is against God who is holy. The worst part of my sin is that it's against God. And yet Jesus died to forgive him of that sin. And Jesus died to atone for the sin that we committed against one another. Right? His blood is perfect, spotless, and it is shed for your sin and my sin. So finally, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want us to see that forgiveness does a good work in us and in those that we're forgiving. Forgiving bears good fruit. Let's look at a couple ways, four ways how. First, uh, forgiving others helps us to appreciate God's forgiveness. Like even this morning as we've been thinking about God's grace and his mercy and his forgiveness, by talking about forgiveness, it, it's stirring our affections for God. It's, it's stirring our, our hearts to be thankful and to sing his praise and to, and to proclaim uh, his mercies. It gives us a heart of thanksgiving towards him as we appreciate his forgiveness because we can't, right? We're supposed to use Christ as the model for our forgiveness. So as we do that, inevitably we are brought to the gospel and we, when we see while this gospel of grace does such good for me and now I can, I can do good for another Secondly, forgiveness keeps us from sinning against those who have sinned against us. This is a scheme of the devil. He wants to take a victim who's been sinned against and put bitterness in their heart so that they turn around and respond sinfully to the person who sinned against them. Satan wants to use this. And now he's got, instead of just having one person sinning, he's got two. He wants to trick the victim into becoming the, uh, the transgressor as well. Right? How many times has that happened in our lives? 
right? How many times when we're the victim of someone's sin, do we respond then in sin towards them? Like I've, th- this has happened in the context of my marriage, right? Where, where one of us will sin against the other and then the other person's response, which should be, listen, I want you to know that there's grace and love and mercy from God and I, I forgive you of this and let's, let's figure out how we can, like what does the word of God say like how we ought to live and here's how this is sin and I love you and I'm staying calm and I, I'm not gonna like raise my voice and get upset and angry. How many times do I wish that it had gone like that but really it's like she did something against me or I did something against her and then the other one of us comes back and starts, you know, yelling and screaming and getting upset or, or, or sinning in our hearts, right? In our, in our thoughts or in our attitudes or in our actions, right? And so when we choose to be mad at someone and not forgive them, it becomes almost a guarantee that we will inevitably sin against them. If you let it brood in your heart, bitterness is a destructive force, it leads to, to death and destruction. It, we don't want that. So forgiveness helps us to keep from sinning against others. Thirdly, forgiveness encourages the other person in their sanctification. Now this is a two-way street. This works both with believers and non-believers, right? When we forgive a non-believer, they see a clear example of the gospel that may lead them to Christ. It may be what God uses to, to awaken them to the gospel, to open the eyes of their hearts that they might see Christ and understand his riches in glory, to understand salvation and to believe. But it also works, it works uh, especially well amongst us who are, are united in Christ because forgiveness is a humbling encouragement to go and sin no more. I forgive you, now be strengthened by that, that you might, that you might be sanctified, that you might work to kill this sin and, and, I, and I'm gonna help you along the way. I'm gonna help you have sight of sin and I'm gonna help you and I'm gonna encourage you. I'm not gonna crush you when you sin. I'm gonna, I'm gonna build you up and help you be better and together we'll glorify and worship God in this. Withholding sin often leads to greater sin. Or, sorry, withholding forgiveness often leads to greater sin. And think about it. If, if God refused to forgive you, would you not just live according to your flesh? If God was like, listen, Tim, I'm not going to forgive you. I don't like you. you. You stink. You're a poopy head. What would I do? I would have no reason then to be like, well, I will follow your ways. I'm condemned. There's no hope of forgiveness. I'm going to go live according to the flesh. I'm going to go have fun, eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to gratify the desires of the flesh because it leads to destruction. And without forgiveness, you can't get off the road that leads to destruction. But I'm thankful that God does not do that, that he forgives us. The wretches that we were And so we need to extend that to others because it does help in their sanctification. 
Grace is an essential component to sanctification. Romans 2.4 says, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. The kindness of God, his kindness towards you is what leads you to repentance. It could have said his, his chastisement or his, the, the weight of the guilt of our sin or all these other things, but it says God's kindness, that God is merciful to us, leads us to repentance. Fourthly, forgiveness is demonstrating love. Forgiveness is a way in which we demonstrate love to one another, right? And we, we, need, we need love. We are desperate to be loved. We need to be loved by God and we need to be loved by one another to be, to be healthy. You all know this passage, Romans 5, 8. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ dies for us while we're still sinners, not after we've fixed all the problems, but he becomes himself the fix to the problems. And he grants us that as the church, living in harmony and unity and, and pursuing peace with one another. We look to Christ. I forgive you because Christ has forgiven me. You forgive me because Christ has forgiven you. And so through forgiveness, God loved us and made us able to love him. And through forgiveness, we love one another. And so when you deny someone forgiveness, you are denying them love. Because the Bible says that love holds no record of wrong. How could we possibly withhold forgiveness from one another when God, who is the only one who really has the authority and the right who is holy enough and just enough, perfect enough to hold us accountable for our sin so freely, so willingly, so costly frees us of the guilt and the burden of our sin, puts the burden actually on himself to reconcile us to himself. And so let us not be stingy with our forgiveness, but let us be gracious to one another and pursue peace and harmony and love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that forgiveness is hard. We confess that we need your, your help in it. We need you to sanctify us. We need you to help us to think rightly about it and act correctly towards our brothers and sisters in Christ and towards those who do evil against us. Lord, we acknowledge that your word even tells us that, it, that the way we're to treat our enemies is to feed them if they're hungry and, and give them drink if they're thirsty and to provide for them a place to rest if they need it. And so if we're to be that merciful towards our enemies, Lord, then let us, let us show mercy and kindness towards one another that you might be glorified in it, that we might be built up as your church and root out any bitterness in us. We ask that you give us the sight to see these things and by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would uh, help us to, to do what is glorifying and honoring to you and to one another. We pray this in your name, amen.